Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services provider for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at more than 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools, and data that helps power their emerging markets business strategy. In today's conversation, we'll be discussing post-merger integration in emerging markets with Alberto Eli. My name is Joel Whitaker. I'm the Global Head of Research at FSG. And also joining me for today's conversation is Dan Cornfield, our Head of Management Best Practices Research. Hello, Joel. Great to be here. We're delighted to have Alberto with us today. Um, Alberto Eli is the president and founder of Piver LLC, a consultancy firm specializing in post-acquisition integration. And uh, until March of this year, he was vice president and controller at Sherwin-Williams Global Finishes Group. After a long career with sharing Plow and SCA, in uh, beginning in Italy and in emerging markets uh, and international roles. So delighted to have you with us here, Alberto. Dan is our leader of our management best practices research, uh, which looks at key management workflows ranging from talent management to distribution, uh, specifically in emerging markets. Post-merger integration is clearly one of those challenging workflows. And I'll turn it over to you, Dan, uh, to start the conversation. Thank you, Joel. So we've been hearing uh, a significant amount of increased attention to the possibility of non-organic growth from our clients over the last uh, few months as some of the low-hanging organic opportunities have dried up. And so that makes me particularly uh, excited and I feel like it's very timely for us to have Alberto with us here in the studio uh, to discuss the the topic of post-merger integration. Now, why are we focusing on the post-merger? The process of acquiring uh, a good target for integration and deciding whether to go or not to go forward is itself a whole topic which we could spend uh, a different uh, series of, of conversations on. But what we see is that usually there are a lot of acquisitions that look good at the target phase and the decision phase, but then go poorly after that. Alberto, what are some of the reasons why what seems like it should be a good acquisition then goes bad? Well, number one, thanks for having me here today, and I'm very glad that you uh, addressed this question. There are a lot of reasons why an acquisition can go can go bad, of which a poor strategy is probably the most important single factor. It doesn't matter how much or how less you pay an asset if the strategy is poor. You will never get shareholder return value. The next uh, issue is related to the integration of the acquisition. There are different levels of integration needed from a strategic point of view, but the process many of the times is neglected and is uh, a value destroyer if not managed properly. And so those are challenges that don't necessarily show up if you're focused on purely the due diligence around the financials. You could think a deal looks good on paper, Uh, but then discover problems afterwards. That's exactly right. Integration of an acquisition starts from the very beginning, from the strategy, from the nature of of the deal you are making, and then it gets more granular as you go ahead with the deal, the definition of the deal, the price, the due diligence, and then it becomes the integration plan. So the main message is that integration is a strategic component of the acquisition process. And we should talk more about the steps and components you have to really go through for effective integration. Uh, Since most of our audience are executives with emerging markets responsibility, how do you think about global best practices 
for managing post-merger integration versus localizing to the needs of specific markets? Okay. I think there is a backbone of uh, best practices that are uh, applicable in all geographies, almost in all the businesses, and these are the so-called four building blocks we can talk more about. Then there is a, a very important component related to the specific culture you are dealing with. The definition of culture today is both the management culture and the technicalities related to the country you are working with. Many times we don't spend enough time assessing the cultural differences in terms of uh, management styles and we don't do enough due diligence about the legal, regulatory, uh, copyright infringement issues that you have in different countries so many different times. Alberto, um, what you said in terms of there being a backbone of a structure for considering any integration process, uh, let's start with that. So what are the building blocks, if you will, of that backbone? In our experience, we figure out that there are the following building blocks. Number one is the nature of the transition. Number two is complexity up front. And these first two phases are mostly in the uh, definition of an acquisition, in the target setting, and in the first negotiation phase. The next two building blocks are related to the front office, better known like customer-facing issues, and in the back office. So these are the four building blocks. Okay, fantastic. Can you run through maybe uh, one way in which each of these tends to go wrong or um, I think in our previous conversation, you mentioned there's often a number of underestimated factors at each of these building block phases. What's an example of something that is a pitfall companies tend to fall into as they evaluate the risks that are involved in a transition or as they actually pursue integration? Okay, in terms of the nature of the transaction, one of the most important determination is the, is the acquisition a local responsibility or is a division region responsibility? Is the local subsidiary structured to digest, integrate this acquisition or there is a need to bring to the table more resources from the division? So that's the first big question mark. Sometimes after the acquisition fever, is uh, placated by the deal, the subsidiary are left with very few resources to do an integration and with all the requests in terms of uh, returns, perform attainment. So it's very important to make this determination from, from the get going. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a pain point we hear from our clients all the time that they are expected to hold to certain standards and processes from a kind of global level. Sometimes strategy is driven from the global level. And then in the implementation, they're left um, holding the bag, so to speak, when they don't necessarily have the person power to make it happen. Yeah, that's exactly what happens many, many of the times. The next step is the so-called complexity, complexity up front. A deal can be sized in terms of uh, total sales, if it's multi-geography, it touch multi-division, or there are issues related to restructuring, turnaround, and plant to shut down. This is very important because one more time, 
you need different and specialistic resources to address uh, some of uh, some of these issues so if it is not clear from the beginning what kind of activities you need to perform is very unlikely you will have the resources aligned and ready to deploy the actions when uh, uh, you need to deliver on performance. You know, in your career, Alberto, you've, you've been largely in the finance organization, uh, starting in uh, more local roles and then moving up to a global role. Have you found when you've been involved with acquisitions uh, during that period that you've seen different sides of that equation? Yeah, one of the uh, most critical moments is when a team that is structured and delivered on growth is asked to do a turnaround project. This is very critical because they don't have the experiences, they don't have the legal frame, they don't have the ability to do a restructuring, a turnaround or shutting down plan. So it's like asking to do uh, a completely new job without any training. Then you need to, if that happens, you need to have the uh, the division or the group level helping out. But we are talking about reaction. The right things to do when you assess the complexity up front is to plan for maybe different activities from which you are used to doing a subsidiary. That's absolutely crucial. One of the things that happens in a typical acquisition process is the formal due diligence uh, right before closing, maybe between negotiations and the closing of the deal. Uh, what, how, how is a connection drawn, or in the case where a company is not doing this as well, failed to be drawn between the due diligence process and the actual integration plan for the company that's being integrated? Well, there is a, a feed-forward, feed-feedback uh, uh, interaction between the two processes. You need to have both... Uh, uh, processes as a kind of a standard frame and one feed the other. A due diligence uh, has to be tailored to the specific country, specific business, and specific company you buy, you buy. The integration plan is tailored with the resources you have and what needs to be done to deliver on the strategic intent. Um, so you need to feed the due diligence with most of the questions that you are going to have to address uh, the integration process. Okay, excellent. So the first two building blocks have been the nature of the transaction, uh, whether it's going to be a transformational process and whether it's appropriately resourced. Um, and then secondly, the degree of complexity involved in the transaction and how that feeds into the integration plan itself. What are the third and fourth building blocks? Uh, refresh us on those, and, and then let's dive into the third. Yeah, the, the third block is uh, about uh, customer-facing. Uh, sometimes it's called the front office. It always goes without saying that uh, you, need to have, you need to keep the sales. You need to keep the sales of the acquisition. But this is a pretty general proposition, and you need to be very specific because when you are looking into an acquisition, you may not, and by design, have all the sales you are acquiring because compliance issues, because segments or sub-segments in the market that you don't want to compete in. So you have to adjust immediately your top line uh, uh, projections to the market, and to the part of the market you, went, you want to compete on. This is one of the bigger criticalities in, uh, in this phase. And then it goes hand in hand with customer retention. 
understanding the customer relationship if there are specific uh, contracts, distribution agreements, uh, uh, rebates uh, policies uh, or discount policies or co-marketing and depending the size and depending the geography many of these agreements are not written. So you have two ways to go about. Number one, try to extract most of the intelligence from the management during the management team moments before due diligence, during due diligence, and immediately after you enter into, into, the, new, into the new target. You can ask part of the, um, of the contract to have most of this agreement in writing before you close. That's another effort to have clarity and to have a good start with your customers because you cannot discuss what you don't know. What's the, what have you learned in your experience about the impact of branding uh, and, and brand positioning changes on the customer relationship? Uh, one of the things that we hear a lot uh, when we're working with our clients in market uh, if it's a Western firm that has grown there through acquisition, they've often imposed a certain set of global brand standards uh, for which there's very good business rationale, but it can have some local challenges if that brand brings different kinds of associations with the customer. Great question. Local brands is a very important part of your commercial strategy. There are brands that we think are global, but they are not global in specific countries. A brand that, that is very well known in the U.S. may not completely known in, uh, in Turkey. So when you acquire a good brand with good recognition in uh, Turkey, just as an example, you may want to keep it for a while. Then you have uh, some bifurcation in your branding strategy. Number one, do you want to go with a dual branding strategy? Sometimes three brands like uh, good, better, and best. And then you want to introduce maybe on the top of your umbrella brand that you want to become a global brand. Sometimes you want to just say part of a corporation. So it's a very important step and it's another step that usually is not really part of any due diligence. It is not a bad idea to do some analysis about local brand recognition and it's not another bad idea to have the global marketing team sitting together before closing an acquisition understanding uh, the implication of uh, branding before hitting the ground. Even in purely financial terms, brands are supposed to have value, right? That's exactly right. So in terms of the front office, uh, three topics we've just covered here. Uh, two of them are really born of informality, right? So in, in the emerging market space, uh, you're dealing with informal ways of doing business very oftentimes. Some of those are uh, not above board, and so FCPA violations may require you to reassess the addressable market and cut back on some of the commercial activity in that space. Some of them are very much above board, even though they're informal, right? And so then there's... Uh, that's to your point about saying, okay, are there explicit contracts in place? What else may have been agreed to that's not written down? Do we owe them a rebate at the end of the year? And finally, uh, the brand considerations. Have you built a plan for how you're going to manage uh, retaining or not retaining the brands that you're acquiring? That's all front office, and, and a lot of times that gets a lot of attention. 
Actually, a very important uh, consideration when you talk about front office is related about the formal and the informal market. Mm. That's another important uh, uh, consideration aside FCPA uh, compliance issues. Mm. You may have an informal market uh, that is okay from an, an FCPA point of view, but is definitely not okay from a fiscal point of view. Just one example your customers, they refuse to invoice you because they don't want to deal with the VAT. Mm. So their informal approach to the market will infect uh, your um, compliance at the end of the day. So that's a part of the market that you don't want to compete. So when you do a market analysis, you may want to consider the total market let's say five $5 billion market, you want to slice out the non-compliance market, maybe a couple billion dollars because there are issues with, with compliance, with, with state-owned enterprises, and then you have maybe another billion dollar of informal market. So you are left with a couple billion dollar market. And that's very important to focus the efforts uh, of your sales and marketing people. Okay, excellent point. And the front office, the commercial side of things, may get the most attention because preserving sales is, of course, critical to the uh, general manager who's in charge of delivering on the, the pro forma promises, right? In the back office, which is your fourth building block, this is where we see the magic word synergies come into play, right? And, and inside that magic word are hidden all sorts of assumptions that may or may not play out. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. First thing first... Uh it's important to define what back office activities are. In my definition, uh, there are a lot of activities, so it's a wide definition because I include supply chain. This is crucial. Supply chain is the linkage to your customer, is how you, let's say, deliver, how you feed your customer with the, the right products at the right time. So. Having said that my definition of the back office is, is very wide, you have to look into all different uh, components of the back office in terms of how you are going to serve your customers. And what are the policies and procedures you have? Do you have a production planning? Do you have a forecast? Do you have uh, a actual deliveries compared to forecast? Do you have KPIs? Do you incentivate your uh, supply chain people with certain kind of uh, measurement? So this is absolutely uh, crucial to deliver to your frontline what is needed. Then you get more into the transactional activities. And here the magic word of synergies is uh, uh, the king of the hill. Yes, there are synergies, but number one, when you do a performa, be very careful about uh, being uh, granular about synergies. 5% synergies on financial costs means very little. Saving two heads in six months is, a, is more of an action plan. And next is how to do that with two heads less is because you are doing uh, your account payable with the existing structure or you are going to have a better information technology system, try to have a game plan rather than just 
few dollars or a percent on sales in terms in term of synergies. There are other processes that are absolutely crucial in terms of uh, understanding and managing the business, and they basically rotate around information technology, availability of quality information by products, by segments, on timely manner, and eventually some CRM uh, view of what's going on with your, uh, with your customers. And last but not least, how your systems and procedures are ensuring compliance. So depending how strong or how weak is the current uh, body of system and procedures, an investment uh, will be needed. The timing and the size of the investment will be dictated by the actual situation. Okay, Alberto. So uh, you you may have uh, opened the eyes for some of our listeners who are not as familiar with the transition process and how complex it it can be to actually integrate a new company. Um, But each of these building blocks that you mentioned has to be handled by actual people, right? They don't just resolve themselves. What are the, uh, the approaches that companies can take to put together teams of people to handle this integration process? Okay, first decision is about, uh, is my strategy based on acquisition or acquisition are just contingent to opportunities? If the answer is, my acquisition is based on acquisitions, like I do every year four or five acquisitions and I've forcing to do 10, 20 acquisitions on, on a four or five year span is not a bad idea to create an internal team re- uh, dedicated and focused to acquisition integration. Okay, so I'd, I'd love to dive into some of the qualities of those teams, but what is the alternative if you're not a serial acquisition type company? There are many alternatives of which one is to leave the local subsidiaries the burden to do the integration. Number two is to hire consultant from outside, and this is usually very costly. So I think to believe that is a very good investment to create integration team uh, inside uh, your corporation if you do more than three or four acquisitions per year. And these integration teams can serve different divisions and groups. Right. With a temporary consulting engagement, you're always paying for expertise rather than building expertise inside your organization. And not only you build expertise in your organization, you also give opportunities to high potential people to learn new technicalities, learn about new geography, new culture. So they may be a feeder and a uh, training ground for people that will move on in the organization and in the geographies. So in your experience, what's defined the best integration teams that you've seen? One of the common denominators is to have an outstanding uh, project manager. So you need a PMO office. You need specific professional with the ability of managing complex teams, complex projects, uh, um, 100% dedicated to a project. The next block is to have... Uh, a integration, an integration process responsible. Most of the time is a good choice, if available, a, an experienced sales and marketing manager that will see the local differences in the light of the general corporate rules, how the local branding issues related to the uh, 
corporate uh, issues, how the uh, local customers can react vis-a-vis uh, 20-plus -vis years of experience in another, uh, in another geography. Number three, create a team with functional experts. And when I say functional experts, I mean uh, finance, HR, uh, um, information technology, supply chain, uh, purchasing, and so forth, uh, that will work for three months, not more than three months, because a good integration process is done in 90 days on a specific project. And this guy needs to be experienced, they need to be flexible to maybe live for three months in a different geography. And then they need to be flexible to be redeployed onto another project. It's not just about skill sets, it sounds like. It's really about the character uh, uh, and personalities involved as well. Yes, because you can create a body of policies and procedure and best practices. Yes, you can have the skill sets, but at the end of the day, you need to have passion. And most of these acquisition teams will face a large amount of unknown. So within the frame, they have to be flexible and passionate enough to react, and they react in a good way. Uh, also, uh, a high tolerance for going through the dirty laundry of a lot of organizations around the world, right? And the intelligence to go through the dirty laundry, understanding what is really dirty, what it is not dirty, and the definition of what can be done locally and what cannot be done in full compliance without just saying no, because most of the time is not perfectly black and white. You need to stop the most blatant uh, um, activities that are not in compliance, but you also want to defend the business. So there's a lot of to adapt. Well, it's an interesting challenge for our clients uh, in, in determining the best way to invest in this integration capability because uh, there's a strong argument for a central capability that can be deployed to regions and, and to country heads, but the business case comes from the bottom up in a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways. That's where the benefit comes in. So I hope that the, this conversation helps our clients think that through, what they should be doing and what they should be expecting Corporate Center to do, uh, what should be managed on an international level. I think we'll leave it there for now. And thank you very much, Alberto, for sharing your insights and your experiences. Thanks, Dan, for moderating the conversation. For our FSG clients, uh, you can look forward to a report coming out of this same research we've been discussing today. Uh, coming to you on our portal uh, portal.frontierstrategygroup.com and if you'd like to speak more with Alberto your account manager would be more than happy to arrange that conversation thank you and wish you best outperformance in your emerging markets